0: Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, So great to see all of you here. In the short time that um, I've been a pastor, um, I've never actually been able to wish our church a Merry Christmas in person, and so that's a first. And I think the next time um, I'm gonna be able to do that is in 2033, okay? And so I actually had to Google it um and for your information, you know like this past week I was like, man, I don't know when the next time Christmas is going to fall on a Sunday. Some of you were like gave me condescending looks like of course in 7 years. It doesn't work like that, okay? There there are like leap years and things like that. So, uh just wanted to throw that out there. Um has has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon, but um really wanted to set the record straight on that. Um but all that to say, um it's so good to see everyone here. Um, on this Christmas Sunday, if I'm going to be honest, when I saw that uh, Christmas and New Year's this year fell on Sundays, my first thought was, dang it, I got to work on, on Christmas. Um, and then I felt the Holy Spirit immediately say, aren't you a pastor? And I was like, you're right, God, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but I realized that even even for me, as much as I've kind of urged our congregation this past month in the Advent season to really take time to, to reflect and think about the significance of Jesus' birth, I actually can't remember uh, the last time that on Christmas morning or on Christmas Day at all that I set aside intentional time and space to just sit with God and worship. And, and it made me think, you know, we've become so uh, religious and we've become so good about honoring every other Christmas ritual, you know, buying Um, You know, that tree with your family, putting it in your home, uh, opening gifts on Christmas morning, white elephant gift exchanges with our friends and family, and we look forward to these things with such anticipation, but how easily we forget the one thing this entire day is about, the infinite God of the universe coming in the flesh to be with his people. You know, when uh, couples who are engaged When they ask me, you know, do you have any advice for us on our wedding day? One of the things I always say is, you know, that day is gonna be wild. You know, there are gonna be, you know, you got hair and makeup, you're gonna have vendors coming in and out, um, you have photographers telling you what to do, you know, you have families on both sides you have to take care of, and the day just kind of flies right by you. And I always tell couples, take a moment, find a quiet moment. At some point during the day with your spouse, even if you have to just get away and just sit and savor what that moment is about. Sit and savor and remember what that day is supposed to be about. And I always say, if you don't fight for that moment, it will not come because that day will just kind of fly right by you. And I know that in the same way, for many of us, the fact that we're gathering today probably through a wrench in some of our typical Christmas morning festivities, but um, I hope that we would see this short hour we have together as a church, not as an inconvenience, uh, but as a rare gift, as an opportunity for us to pause in the midst of the busyness and the anxiety of this season and of this day, and for us to just simply take a breath and remember what this day is about. Okay, so uh, You know, I've been reading the birth narrative of Jesus over and over again this past month. Um, As you know, we've been in an Advent series, and the line that has stopped me every time um, I have read it um, is found in the text um, today, and it's in verse 7, and we're going to read this together. But if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me uh, to the book of Luke, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. It's going to be on the screen behind me, uh, but if you like to follow along in your phones or uh, on your devices, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. This is the reading of God's Word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Amen. Uh, Let me just say a quick prayer for us uh, before we begin. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you that on this Christmas day, on the day when you became flesh to be with your people, that we would receive you again, that you would open our hearts and our ears to receive what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That verse in verse 7, which is the verse I'm really going to center today's talk around, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. The most important person in history has been born, and there was no place for him in the inn. It's Christmas Day, and there's no place for Jesus. At this very moment, there are millions of people around the globe celebrating Christmas. And yet I wonder how many of them, if the baby Jesus showed up on their doorstep today, would say, there's no room here for you. It's a sad reality of Christmas, that from the very day Jesus was born, he was overlooked and rejected. Now, there are a lot of potential reasons as to why there was no place for them in the end. Um, on one hand, in verse 1, we read that Caesar Augustus has just decreed a census, so a lot of people were traveling, and even though Bethlehem wasn't a place where a lot of travelers typically went through, um, that night, you have to suspect that there were a lot of travelers and maybe it's, you know, that there was just no vacancy. Perhaps it's because Joseph and Mary just couldn't afford the lodging. We know they were very poor. Or perhaps the innkeeper just wanted to hold out for better paying guests. You know, some scholars even believe that um, this may not even have been an inn in the traditional sense, in the traditional way we think about inns, that it's possible that what what the Bible is talking about here is that it was a guest room in a home. So it's possible there was actually a family living there, and that family didn't want some strangers coming in and giving birth to a child in their living space. Whatever the reason is, the bottom line is that there was no room for a pregnant, homeless woman about to give birth to the Savior of the world. And before we jump to how could that have happened, how could anyone turn this family away, like when they're about to give birth when they're visibly exhausted from their travels you know many of you know what it's like in that moment right before you're about to give birth it is a stressful moment and you think when you read this story how could there be no place for them there and yet i think we don't i don't realize that we do it all the time every day we overlook and reject jesus And we have our reasons too. And some of them are pretty good reasons. You know, we're busy with work and school and kids. Our schedules are full. We have things to do. We have so many people to host. Life is chaotic. Things come up. We have priorities. And it's one of the greatest ironies that there's no room in the world for the one who created the world. It's a foreshadowing of the way Jesus lived his entire life. He says in Matthew 8, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is saying, even the animals I created have a place to sleep, but there's no place for the Creator to lay his head. Even in death, Jesus was rejected, nailed to a cross on a hill he created, and then buried in a borrowed tomb because he didn't have a tomb of his own. There was never any space for the one who created time and space. You know, I have, um, I have a friend who has a 15-year-old daughter and he's like really discouraging sometimes because um, he responds to all my Insta stories, any Insta story that I post of me and my daughter and he's always like, don't get used to that. You know, it's, it's not going to last much longer. You know, they grow up so fast. I'm like, why do you say that? You know, um, and, and he told me this story. Um, I guess um, he, he took his daughter and four of her friends uh, to a Justin Bieber concert recently. And I guess he got this special package where they give you two VIP passes um, along with the package where you can kind of go in after the show, meet Justin, take pictures with him, and, you know, this poor dad, he thinks like, of course, his daughter is going to give him the extra ticket, right, um, the, the extra VIP pass, uh, but I guess somewhere in the van ride, the daughter, his daughter and her friends already decided who was going to go in, and she just told him, oh yeah, dad, sorry, it's already decided, You just, just wait out here, and he was like, you know, I don't even like Justin Bieber, you know, it's not like I even wanted the tickets. And I would have definitely had her take one of her friends, but the audacity. (laughs) he was like, who bought those tickets? Who got out of work early to drive five teenage girls in a minivan to a show I didn't even want to go to, and you didn't even consider giving me the ticket? And sometimes I, I feel like Jesus is sitting on his heavenly throne thinking, I gave you everything that you have. The air that you breathe, the food that you eat, the job that you get to go to every single day. I gave you everything, your family, your friends, your home, and you're telling me there's no room for me in your life. You're telling me you have room in your schedule for all these other things I gave you and yet there's no place for me. Anywhere. And I don't say this to make us feel guilty on Christmas morning. I say this because this is the Christmas story. It's a story about rejection. It's a story of God traveling infinite distances, leaving all the glory and comforts of heaven to get to us, only to find that there's no place for him in the end. And so today, I, want to read the Chris- I don't want to read the Christmas story as something that happened a long time ago. I want to read the Christmas story as something that's happening in real time now. And it's confronting all of us who are sitting here this morning with the very real question, is there room for Jesus here? You know, if you've been with us the past month, you know that we've been in a, uh, we have were in an Advent series called Jesus Through Their Eyes. And each week we looked at the birth narrative of Jesus through the eyes of the different characters in the story. In week one, we looked at the birth of Jesus through the eyes of Mary, Mary, not Mary, Mary, this young, ordinary, poor teenage girl who's told she has a savior of the womb, savior of the world in her womb. And what that conveys, what that moment conveys about who Jesus is and what he came here to do. In week two, we looked at the birth of Jesus through the eyes of Herod, this man who reeked of insecurity, this man who clawed his way to the top to become the self-proclaimed king of the Jews, who did everything, who used fear and domination to keep his place and to keep his kingdom intact. And we talked about how Jesus' birth threatens all the Herods out there and the Herods in here. In week three, we looked at the story through the eyes of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. A man who in every way subverts our understanding of manhood and masculinity. A man who's given no words in the story and yet one who so clearly embodies Jesus in the way he loves, serves, and protects his wife. And then last week, we looked at the story through the eyes of the shepherds and the wise men, two groups of people who could not be more different, who come together on that fateful night over 2,000 years ago to worship the newborn king. And it reminds us that we are not defined by the worst parts of who we are, and we are not defined by the best parts of who we are, that the gospel humbles the wisest of men and women and lifts up the lowliest of shepherds. And all of it has led us to today, Christmas Day. And today, I don't want to look at the story through their eyes. I want to look at the story through our eyes, which is why I've titled today's sermon, Jesus Through Our Eyes. What does the birth of Jesus mean for us in Los Angeles in 2022, and why does it matter? Okay, I'm just going to give us two simple things, two quick points. Uh, If you're a student, youth student in our children's ministry, our children's ministry director puts together these amazing packets that have notes that you can follow along with. And here's the first point. That the birth of Jesus shows us that all of us have rejected God. All of us have rejected God. There was no place for them in the end. Nobody made room for the Son of God, and why would they? What good does a poor, unmarried couple with a crying baby do for anyone? And so this family has no place to go. We read about this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, when the prophet says, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way, He was despised, and we did not care. He's talking about the coming Messiah. And he says, all of us have turned our backs on Jesus and looked the other way. All of us have rejected God. All of us have chosen our way over God's way. All of us have chosen to trust the stock market, a relationship, a degree, the government over God to give us a sense of security and stability in this life. All of us at some point have prioritized our careers and our children and our comfort over God. Some of us don't even realize that we've rejected God because it seems like we do so much for God. But there is a way that you can do a lot of Christian things and still miss God in the process. There was no place for them in the end. Romans 3, 10 to 12 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one. And you and I right now are living in the aftermath of a world that has collectively rejected God if you want to know why there's so much trouble in our homes, if you want to know why we can't seem to get along with our parents or our siblings or our children or our friends, if you want to know why we're seeing so much division and strife in our nation, why we can't seem to stop hurting each other, the answer is ultimately because we've turned God away. We've shut God out. We've turned our backs on Him and looked the other way. But here's the second thing the birth of Jesus shows us, and it's great news. It shows us that even though we've rejected God, God will never reject us. Even though we've rejected Him, God will never reject us. Even though we've turned our backs on God, God will never turn his back on us. Even when we run from him, God is always running after us. And it's very clear when you read the story. We read that because there's no place for them in the inn, Mary must lay Jesus in a manger, a place where pigs eat to be laid in a place where barn animals are fed, God is saying something so profound. He's saying, I came so that the worst of you, that the most unclean would be fed. I came to accept the worst of the worst, to bring life to those who've lost their humanity, to be with those who want nothing to do with me. So lay me in a manger where pigs are fed this is God showing us that there is nothing you've done or nothing you can do that will separate you from his love in Christ Jesus. At every point in his journey, Jesus was rejected. And at any point, Jesus could have turned around and said, you know what, I don't need to do this. I don't need to be here. I don't need to go through all these hoops. And yet he didn't because he loved us too much. And from the day he was born, Jesus endured rejection after rejection after rejection. And so it was only fitting that the culmination of his life that began in a feeding trough was a Roman cross. And yet he did it for love. Romans 5 says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Your parents may reject you. Your friends may reject you. Your boss may reject you. But God will never reject you. He will always pursue you. Psalm 23 tells us that his goodness and his mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. You know, this week, I finally uh, watched the movie Everything, Everywhere, all at once. I almost feel ashamed that I waited this long to watch it, because if you haven't watched it, I think it's one of the best movies of the year, hands down. And the first time you watch it, it's a very dizzying movie with a lot of randomness going on. You're like, what the heck is going on? Um, But at the center of it all is a story that I think resonates with a lot of us in this room. At the center of this story you essentially have the story of an immigrant family struggling to make ends meet and connect with one another. That's really what it is. It's a story that's very familiar to many of us. And one of the relationships the movie explores is a relationship between the mother and the daughter. And it's obvious from the beginning of the movie that this relationship between mom and daughter is fractured, is broken. The mom sees her daughter as rebellious and ungrateful. The daughter sees her mom as overbearing and inattentive to her needs. I don't know if that's familiar to any of us. But at the end of the movie, there's this climactic moment in the parking lot of their family's laundromat. And the daughter is upset. She storms out and she says, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Let's just go our separate ways. And the mom, in very typical immigrant mom fashion, begins to list off everything the daughter does to piss her off, right? She's like, you don't even call me anymore. You know, even though we have a family p- plan and it's free, I pay for it. You only visit when you need something. You got a tattoo and said it represents our family and you know I hate tattoos, right? And, and she's just going off on her. And the mom is like, you know, it's true. Of all places I could be, why would I possibly want to be here with you? And, and the daughter's like, yeah, you could be anything, anywhere. Why not go somewhere where your daughter is more than just this? It's a haunting line, I think, especially if you grew up in an immigrant household. Why not go somewhere where your daughter is something more than just this? And I'm probably going to butcher the lines of what the mom says in that moment, but what she said, and I'm watching it, and it just broke me. She says, you're right, it doesn't make sense. But I still want to be here with you. I will always, always want to be here with you. The incarnation is the God of the universe saying, you're right. I could be anything, anywhere. I created everything. The world was made through me, in me, and for me. I don't have to put up with all this rejection, but I still want to be here with you. I will always, always want to be here with you. Christ coming into this world is a picture of God's unwillingness to let us go no matter what the cost. This is what Christmas is about. So today as we sit here, we know exactly where God stands. But you and I now have a choice to make. Will we on this Christmas morning turn away from Jesus saying, there's no room for you here? Or will we invite Jesus to be Lord of our lives? In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is saying, I am always coming to you. I'm always moving toward you. Will we turn away or will we open the door and receive the free gift of life Jesus came to give us? A life of meaning and purpose and joy. Let's pray. Lord, on this Christmas morning I recognize that there are many uh, in this room in church for the first time for a long, in a long time, some who feel perhaps unworthy to be here, some who feel lost. I know that for many of us in this room, this season is a difficult time, a time of grief, time of deep sorrow and sadness and I just pray that even in this moment that you would remind us that you came into the world so that we would know that you're always with us, that you, can, you would never abandon us, that you will never leave or forsake us. That even when we feel unworthy when we feel lost when we feel torn into you stand at the door and knock so god i pray that this morning we would use this opportunity to let you in to recommit our lives to the one who gives life the one who came into the world to give life, so that the hungry may be fed. We thank you for your birth. We celebrate you on this Christmas day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.